Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. For the last about five weeks, the lectionary has walked us through John 6, and um, this can be a bit of a preacher's nightmare. There's a lot of uh, blogs out there for preachers that are talking about this, and gosh, one more week in the bread... Uh, with the bread passage, but uh, I think it's very important because what Jesus is doing here is that he is, um, he is taking the realm of faith out of abstraction and making it very, very concrete for you. Um, we have a way and a tendency of making spirituality abstract and vague, and uh, Jesus is saying the Christian faith is not like that at all. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood... You have no life in you. Well, that's pretty direct and clear. There's nothing abstract about this. And what Jesus is doing is taking faith and he's making it earthy and he's making it concrete. By literally relating faith to an action everyone must do in order to live, eat, and drink. By feasting on Jesus' atoning work on the cross for our salvation... As he says in our reading today, we abide in him and he abides in us. Just as the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so whoever eats me will live because of me. Now, abiding in Jesus is accomplished by faith. By faith. We come to this altar in faith. However, what does that mean? Well, what it means tangibly and practically is that when I eat bread, maybe not Wonder Bread, I'm a huge fan of like bread that is white and completely useless for you, and you can make amazing grilled cheeses in it. But Melina is into like hearty, like seven grain bread, and uh, you can get at the farmer's market. Like one slice will fill you up for about two days. And you know, but that is good stuff, and when you eat that, you, you, uh, you extract all of the nutrients that come from it, and it goes to your body and it nourishes you. When I am thirsty, I really want a Diet Coke, but what we should have is water, and you know, and you, your body uh, takes all of that wonderful goodness and applies it to you. And this is why Jesus relates abiding to eating and drinking, because faith like eating draws upon all that Jesus has to give you. And what does he have to give you? Well, his perfect obedience. What does he have to give you? His righteousness. He has to to give you his forgiveness and all of God's grace. His victory. They are all yours through faith in Jesus. And we have tangible reminders of that when we gather around this altar. Now, as clear as faith is, we love to make it an abstraction. You know, and this is why we spend five weeks in John chapter 6, because our faith is not an abstraction. I have met so many people that talk about faith as if it's their doing. You know, that it's some sort of uh, attribute that they have, you know, like generosity or, uh, or, you know, being nice or being prompt. And so what happens is, is that faith gets confused and we wind up treating faith as something we do and then we look to our faith as opposed to Jesus and when the rubber hits the road in life, we have no answer for it because our faith falls short when it's about us. 
However, Christian faith, the testimony of the Bible, is that faith is nothing but given to you, Jesus given to you. And like a baby cleaves to its mother, faith can only cling to Jesus. When you read the word faith in the New Testament, replace it with whatever's going to get you through the night and into the age that is to come. So as a Christian, replace it with Jesus. And faith begins to make sense. And this is my first point. Jesus is taking the concept of abiding, the concept of faith, and he is making it concrete. As I said last week, do not let your faith become an abstraction because it will not be able to speak to you when the rubber hits the road of life. A hungry person cannot help but eat. A thirsty person, I mean, have you ever been really thirsty? ever been really thirsty and been offered a glass of water and you're like, no, no, I'll wait. No, you drink it immediately. A thirsty person cannot help but drink. And therefore, faith, Christian faith, cannot help but look to God. Faith cannot help but hear Christ, feed on Christ, and therefore receive Christ and all of his benefits. Faith for the Christian is never detached from Jesus. And so this, therefore, becomes the lens by which we approach this powerful conclusion to St. Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. The epistle to the Ephesians was written to primarily a Gentile congregation. And what um, St. Paul is doing is articulating actually the accomplishment and the hope of Solomon's prayer from our letter to the first, uh, from our, uh, our reading from First Kings. When a foreigner comes among you, welcome him. You know, this idea, and St. Paul makes this argument, especially in Ephesians chapter 3, about how in Jesus the dividing wall that separated Jew from Gentiles have been torn down, and now God in Christ by abiding in him has made one people, one people, and that is his church. And so he's done this, and by abiding in him, Jew and Gentile are now reconciled. And in the previous section of chapter 6, which is very important, there's all of this relationship between families and husbands and wives and fathers and children and vice versa. And, and, and what Paul does is he articulates how abiding in Jesus, the one who is both Lord and slave, how that, abiding in Jesus and his work, our familial relationships are now approached differently. They're approached not demanding our rights, but by relinquishing them and exercising grace with one another. However, in the midst of all of this abiding in Jesus, in this age, St. Paul tells us we are in a struggle. Anybody who says that the Christian life is free from problems doesn't know what they're talking about. St. Paul says that in this life we are in a struggle. And who here in this congregation, whether it be issues of ethnicity and culture or gender or whatever it is, issues with an employee or an employer, issues with a spouse, issues with a child, have not found themselves in the midst of a real struggle. Yet St. Paul, and this really stuck out to me this time as I was studying and preparing for this passage, he makes the point to articulate what our struggle is not against. You know, when I'm in a conflict with someone, my immediate instinct is to think that that it's, it's a conflict with that person. 
But St. Paul says our struggle is not against flesh and blood. Our struggle, you know, your struggle is not against your boss, your spouse, your kids. Rather, our struggle is against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in this heavenly place. And gosh, we've had so many people throughout Christendom make this an abstraction as well. But it's very real, and it's that internal oftentimes struggle of what it is to say the right thing, what it is to relinquish your rights in in favor of grace. You know, and we have a tendency to write it off or we have a tendency to make more of it than what it actually is. But the truth is, is that life is a struggle. And there is a spiritual force in that struggle. Martin Luther in his great catechism said, if you knew how many arts, darts and arrows were being flung at you, you would not help but want to run to communion every day. And the truth is, is that the struggle is real. And it differs from Christian to Christian. Some have more. Some have less. I don't know why. For some, the attack is more severe or subtle. It could be physical. It can be mental. It can be emotional. But some of us struggle because of unexpected diseases and calamities. And in the midst of that struggle, the reality is is that And especially when they're large, but even the small ones, the little cuts, like, you know, death by a thousand cuts, day after day, there's a real temptation in life to withdraw and disengage. Yet in the midst of it all, Jesus calls us to abide in him. And to abide in him, and it's the same as St. Paul calls us, to be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And abiding in Jesus is the same as putting on the whole armor of God. We're called to do it even in the midst of wanting to throw in the towel. And this is my second point. Make no doubt about it. In the midst of the struggle called life, you may feel like throwing in the towel on God, and you may feel like throwing in the towel on Christianity because you thought it was a self-help program, uh, you know, but, and everything in your life is saying that God is completely absent. But in the midst of this struggle, let that gift of faith fixate you on Christ alone, your only mediator and advocate the one who has ascended and is now at the right hand of the Father and intercedes on your behalf. Allow the Holy Spirit to assure you today as you come up around this altar and stretch your arms out into eternity. Allow the Holy Spirit to assure you today that you are abiding in Christ. And you are abiding in Christ because you are here. You are here. In the midst of that struggle... As St. Paul tells the Ephesians, you are standing strong in the Lord and in the strength of his power. And you are reminded of that standing. You are reminding of that abiding as not an abstraction, but as you eat the bread that is his body and drink the wine that is his blood. And in the midst of that spiritual battle, you possess and are wearing the whole armor of God because you were clothed with Christ at your baptism. 
St. Paul's illustration of armor, it's a powerful illustration. It's a timeless one. But we tend to weaken it because of self-help Christianity. We tend to weaken it because we so often think that we're the ones who put it on in the passage. And it's preached oftentimes as something actively you had better do. You know, you better put on that breastplate. You better put on that belt. But this is what makes Paul's illustration so powerful, and everybody reading it would have known why it's a baptismal reference. Because a Roman soldier knew to put on armor usually meant someone had to put it on you. You couldn't put the breastplate on yourself. It had to be strapped on your back. You couldn't put the belt on yourself. It had to be wrapped around tightly around your waist. Someone had to put that armor on for you. And so while you may feel down, while you may feel out, never forget when you were baptized, you were fully equipped. You had the armor put on you, and you were battle ready and armed with the truth. You're armed with truth. You're armed with righteousness. You're armed with the gospel of peace, faith, salvation, the word of God, the sword, which is the Bible. You're armed with prayer. These are the very gifts of Christ, which are himself. They are himself. When we put on Christ, never forget this in our baptism. It's not just armor from him. It is his very self. It is his armor given to us to keep us safe and strong against the flings and the slings of the enemy. And one of the hardest things about Christianity, and I'll say it again, Christianity is not a self-improvement plan. Unfortunately, there are a lot of self-improvement plans masquerading as Christianity today. But really, when you can see that Christianity is about Christ and what he has done for you and what he gives you day in and day out, this begins to hearken us back to the essence of what faith is. Faith didn't come to Abraham by seeing. Faith comes to Abraham and faith comes to you by hearing. And by hearing, that doesn't mean hanging your brain at the door, but believing God simply at his word, because he is God and you are his creature. And believing God, sometimes despite all evidence to the contrary in your life. And this is my third point. God. God completely hides himself in you. And you are hidden in him. And therefore you can hear his word as he bids us to trust in him. And you can take him at his word. Take, eat, this is my body which is given for you. Drink this, all of you, this is my blood shed for you. He hides himself, he hides himself in this good news of the gospel, this good news of forgiveness of our sins, which we boldly proclaim to the world. It is in those means that God teaches us to trust him, to abide in him, and to stand firm in him, especially when we cannot see it for ourselves. And faith is this gift that God has given you as a result of that abiding So that when you stare into the dark pit of the grave called death, when you 
leave this place and go out into the world, you will cling to nothing but his word. As Jesus says, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and they are life. These are the words that you have heard today. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. And I will raise them up on the last day. And gathered around this table, covered in the armor of God, which is nothing less than Christ's imputed righteousness, stand. You don't have to go out and conquer anything. You just stand. Stand here today. Go home and stand. Go to work and just stand. And take Christ with you all the way to the grave. And know for certain, as he has said, I will raise you up on the last day. So just stand. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.